Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 185. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com. We're excited to have with us the acclaimed and celebrated comic book writer and owner of Die Bolt Comics, John Holland. John. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I am fine, sir. Hey, before we are even you- get started, I want, to, I want to tell you, since I first contacted you, I've been listening to your podcast like religiously i mean I oh, really- so you're the one so you're yeah. the one <laughs> you've actually some of your guests have really given me some really good ideas um okay to, um uh what was it bound mm-hmm. creators that did bound and they were talking about how they i think they offered their comic free on uh global comics and that they've been you know to read and they've been doing really good kickstarters and i've actually got my comics up on global comics but i was charging for all of them and you know like i was telling you alma i'm kind of getting ready to launch a kickstarter so i decided to to offer that for free and you know see how it goes and i've already had like you know 500 views of it reads of it and just you know like in just last couple weeks so nice uh, i figure it's nothing it's getting people out there and a lot of people still want to buy that physical and have that physical copy but you know they were saying they were like the i think one of the the most read comics on global comics last year or something and then they still have had really good funded Kickstarters. So I was like, well, if they can do it, you know, <laughs> that's a good, you know, I mean, so I've been listening to a lot of different, some of your, cause you've got a lot of guests that are doing Kickstarters and like right. just some of the, some of the, uh, the uh, tiers and stuff like that. I've been getting a lot of ideas. So I've been listening to you really. I just listened to, I was just listening to your newest one that you just posted um, today. Was it today you posted or yesterday? Okay. Uh, I don't remember which, you know, but uh, I was listening to that. I usually listen to most of my Kickstarters in the car driving around. Okay. That way I'm more focused. You know, if I'm at home, if I try to listen to them, I'm always trying to do something else and I don't pay as much attention. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Excellent. Wow. I'm glad, I'm glad it's been helping out. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, cause you're, you're right now, John, you are in, you're in Louisiana. Yes. And I'm sure you're probably hiding out from the humidity. I'm sure you're uh, in a place with air conditioning right now. Oh yes, yeah. You can't yeah. air conditioning out here. I don't know how they did it before before they had AC. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you're not new to comic book writing. So as before we went before we went live, I was talking to you about the fact that I recognized your name. I, I recognized your name. I'm like, is this the same John Holland? And then I and I and I jumped in and I looked up and it says, yes, you're the you're the one that's been doing. You've been writing comics. You've been putting stories out, um, you know, through Kitchen Sink Press and Fantagraphics. Uh, you've been around. You've been you've been in the industry uh, since the early '90s, correct? Yeah, actually, probably the '80s. You know, late '80s. Okay. You know, probably before that. You know, trying to break in. So, um, you know, one of the first people I worked with was uh, Sam Keith. I don't know if you recognize mm. Sam. Keith you know, the max and and image. And uh, uh, he he and I started breaking in together. We were working on on some stuff together, but then uh, he kind of got started getting on work a lot quicker than I did. And, you know, getting into Marvel and then image and, you know, for about five minutes, I was supposed to be right. The writer on the max, but then he, he which, you know, I don't blame him. You know, Bill is a lot better writer. So, you know, (laughs) but uh, yeah. So uh, 
Yeah, I've been around for, you know, Kitchen Sink, Fanagraphics. Um, I don't even remember some of the other companies. Uh, Malibu. Well, it wasn't Malibu. It was one of their offshoots, uh, Adventure Comics. Uh, I did an adaptation of Harry Harrison's Death World. Right. Uh, in comic form. Uh, uh, you know, different things. And then, you know, I wasn't really self-publishing at that time. It was all pretty much through the small publishers. And mm. after... We started self-publishing. Actually, I self-published a book called Die Bold before we had okay. Die Bold Comics uh, and uh, with uh, an artist, Brian uh, Clifton. And Brian Clifton, yeah. Yeah, and we did two issues of that. And uh, then we kind of took a break. And, you know, he, and I actually kind of took a break from comics for a little while. And then when I came back in, I started more mainly self-publishing and started with some new stuff and then i started to you know republish that's the that was the original book that was the first thing i think we self-published we self-published that under silent partners was the name mm. and uh, brian had a really good idea to help pay for the cost of the book was he pre-sold every page in the comic you know all the original artwork and oh the, cool and at the bottom of each page was the the uh, person that bought the artwork their name appeared at the bottom of each page so that's where oh. we got the name from, Silent Partners. So they were kind of like our silent partners in the comic. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that really was a. It's it's paid for the book and everything. So we did two issues, and then we kind of, you know, both of us had things going on, and and uh, kind of fell apart, and just uh, just couldn't get to the next issue. And and about that time, I think both of us kind of took a break from from writing for a while. And uh, I came back in like probably the two thousands or. A little later and uh started uh self-publishing hmm. so let me ask you as someone that's 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 been in the industry for you know knocking on you know 30 years or so what are some of the changes that you've seen happen in the in the independent comics uh, in the in the independent comics world uh self-publishing i think has gotten you know a lot bigger you know i mean it was mm. always there but back when i first you know, was in it too. It was, it was self-publishing was more of a, a lot of people kind of looked down on it too. You know, it was, mm. it was like, if you're self-publishing, that just meant you couldn't get into, you know, a, a publisher or whatever, unless you were self-publishing, you became like Dave Sim with Cerebus and, you know, the turtle guys, a few people like that. But uh, right. uh, now self-publishing uh, web comics, you know, the internet wasn't around back there then. So now, you know, you see all the web comics and, comics on the internet and and a lot more self-publishing i think than than we did back you know at that time hmm. oh because yeah as you mentioned like other than the big two there there were as you said there were some and you worked with some of those like kitchen sink press and fantagraphics malibu um and innovation was one of the other ones i believe yeah, too yeah innovation i did an issue of quantum leap for do you feel as though today it's easier or harder to published comics and and make a name for yourself in that sense it's it's easier in the sense that you know i think self-publishing you know it's it's mm. it doesn't really cost a lot you know to to print up a comic and, and get it out there uh it's it's a little harder i think in some ways to get your name out there because there's a lot more people self-publishing a lot more going right. on but uh it's just it's just a matter i think of of you know doing things like this podcast and just getting right. your name out there. You know, I've just started really getting on Twitter. 
So what would be your what would be your advice? I'm just thinking about it from the perspective is like when you got back into it, when you got back into writing again, what were some of the things, skills or or disciplines that you were happy you already learned previously that you didn't have to learn as being a as compared to a, a new comic book writer right now? Yeah, I guess just you know the the you know the discipline for sitting down and, and being able to write a comic mm-hmm. and get it done. Because uh, I know before and even still sometimes nowadays it's you know it's easy to get distracted. I'll start a you know script and you know it may take me a month to finish it because I'll do a few pages and then I'll do something else. And, you know, I've, I've been trying to, the last few scripts I've been write, writing, I, I fo- focus and make myself finish the whole script in like one sitting or whenever, as, as quickly as I can, you know? Mm. So, so I, so I don't spend that time. I've got some artists that I was like doling out a page or two at a time, you know, they'd be like, all right, here's a page or two of script, draw that. When they finish, I'd write another page or two. Now, so now I'm trying to get the whole script to the artist and, you know, let them see what everything's happening on it. Uh, right. It still doesn't happen all the time. I'm, I just sent a script uh, to one of my, to Roman, one of my artists on a, a robot sex for the second issue of it. And I was doing like a couple of pages and then I, the, the book kind of stretched out longer than I expected. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to take these pages and move them here and move him here. And then when I finally sent him the script, he's like, all right, what page are we on? He says, I'm so confused. <laughs> so I had to sit down and kind of look at, okay, this page follows this page because we just kind of move, I moved things around because I was, it was, the story was just taking more of a life on its own and kind of growing on me. Well, and I, I do have to say, I, 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 I read robot sex and I loved I love the story. I love, is this going, is there going to be more issues to this? There's at least three issues. Originally it was going to be a one shot. And then when I started getting towards page 20 or so, I realized I'm not going to be able to tie it all up. And then I thought, well, I could go a little further because one good thing about being a self publisher is I can write as many pages as I want for a script. Like I did a book called the getaway driver that was going to be 24 pages and it ended up being 36 pages. But right. when, I, when I got to about page 20 of robot sex, I realized it's, 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 I have enough story to go at least one more issue. So I figured I was just going to end it at page 20. And that's why it kind of ends abruptly on page 24, you know, it's really not, you know, and because I figured, well, I'm just going to do another issue of it. And the plan originally was going to be do two issues. Then I started writing the second issue and a friend of mine, uh, an artist uh, passed away. He had a heart attack uh, suddenly about, two or three weeks ago. Mm. And uh, he was actually about to do a cover for me for another comic. And so it got me thinking, and there are some ideas that he likes. And so there are some ideas that we had talked about. And I thought, you know what, this would be perfect to kind of put into this next script with robot sex. So it actually, my plan was going to be second issue now is in the third issue. And the second issue has expanded out to kind of take into kind of like a tribute to, uh, to my friend. Okay. Now I, I have to ask you too. I, I, well, first of all, I like the robot's name. The robot's name is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I tried to find something that was like basically kind of mundane. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Your name is Barney. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, something that wasn't like real, like a robot name, you know, like right. 1834 or something. I wanted something like a normal name. No, and I and I love 
so I and I'm curious about this is is robot sex take place in the same universe as um Aya because Ayla. it does Ayla uh, okay yeah it's I, I kind of as I've been writing some of this stuff I've been dropping little hints like that that the, everything is kind of connected you know because okay. you know the main character's name is Laveau and uh her, she has a sister actually uh that we're gonna meet in issue two Marie which okay. kind of you know, and plus she's a speaker of the dead which kind of ties right. back to Ayla so uh right yeah so it's kind of like they're I don't know how hard and fast I'm I'm creating this timeline but uh some of the books I've kind of like dropped little hints that they're all kind of connected right and one of the th- and one of the things I really liked also about about robot sex is the robot whose name is Barney mm-hmm. um, talks in pictograms is that the yeah. cor- is that the correct yeah <laughs> yeah I, I've had that idea for that for so long but I just didn't know if I could create enough pictures like that for somebody to, to develop you know to, to, to speak to somebody but I figured I was gonna give it a try. So where did so where did that idea come from? Some of it came from the artist on it. Roman has uh, he did the six issue of Lizards for me, okay. and on his Twitter feed, he's always drawing uh, robots and all these really strange drawings of robots and people and everything. And it just I just wanted to do something that was like really different because you know robot sex i just throw in some of the strangest stuff you know i'm like you know what oh, this man. this is just yeah. going to be really weird but it's going to work and uh and some of it was just old ideas like the 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 walking eyeball and things like that were ideas that i had from other stories that i thought this would fit in here right and, uh, it just all kind of and then the title came to me and i had the title for a while and i was like if nothing that title is going to attract attention and mm. it does when I when I do a t- uh, convention and I'm at the table, that's one of the people look at that book, you know, and I have to explain to them, look, it's not X rated. It's it's, you know, pretty fairly, I think, family. You know, I mean, I think pretty much anybody can read it. <laughs> right. I said the title is kind of, you know, just to, to get your attention more than anything. I love yeah, it's the, the design of I get for the, our audio listeners is also these creatures that have these long legs that are reminiscent of like the, the, the wheelers from, from the return to Oz, but they have the bodies of, it reminds me of like the fry guys from the, from the, from the, the, the McDonald's commercials. So that's a, a throwback from the eighties in a bit, but yeah, yeah I, those I, actually came from an idea from a book that when I was telling you about my uh, friend that passed Terry, those uh, I always call them daddy long legs because you know they were kind of like the spiders, you right. know, long legs, and that's what I always kind of called them. And uh, that was something that we kind of something we threw around, you know, and it just never went anywhere. So, I was like, I'm going to use them in this. So, robot sex has kind of become a, a lot of different ideas I've just thrown together in there, right. It makes me really so. What I, what I love about what I love about that, what, what I love about this book is that it makes me want to learn more about the world itself. So as a writer, so let me ask you this question as a writer, 
did you come up with the concept of the characters first, a story or a world first that you created? In Robot Sex, it was the characters first. And okay. Robot Sex has been a very, it's been one of those books that I've been writing like a page at a time. And it's just, okay. it's, it's, it's one, I kind of knew where I wanted to go and I kind of had an, I, I've got the ending in sight, but bet between the beginning and the ending, I didn't have a lot plotted out. And uh, right. it's just been, you know, I, I had the characters like, you know, where she meets uh, with the, they're leading the robots through the desert. I had those characters and it's like each, each little arc in there moves me to the next spot. I think about, okay, now I'll, I'll do this. So it hasn't been a really heavily plotted, like, you know, out page by page. It's been, I'm taking the characters. I'm going from here and I know where I'm going with them. And I know kind of some of the stops along the way, but as I write, it gives me ideas. Sometimes it'll make me think about, Oh, let me add this to it. And, you know, right. so it's, it's some of it's been a little surprising to me, you know, as I go through. So it's, it's been interesting. So, so the artist that you had do this, as you said, for robot sex was, was, uh, was someone that you worked with previously as well. Yeah. He, uh, did, I think the first thing he did for me was a couple short page, uh, short stories and lizards. Cause like you said, lizards, I originally published through Fantagraphics. And then when I republished him, I wanted to continue it. So I was doing a few short stories. And then okay. issue six is actually a full length uh, story. And he did the art for it. Okay. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So then then I got the idea. I was my, The plan was to do issue seven of Lizards. But then I got the idea for Robot Sex. And I was like, all right, let's do this next. And I, <laughs> like I said, originally Robot Sex was going to be a one issue. And I was going to go back to Lizards. But now Robot Sex has grown to three issues at the least, you know, uh, and I could see it continuing more because it's, it's a fun book to, to write because like I said, I, I've, it's one of the books that I've kind of like, I'll try anything in it. Like issue two, I actually have dinosaurs in it and flying <gasps> monkeys. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, it gets a little weird <laughs> or weirder. <laughs> yeah. I love, I, I love yeah the, the, the dialogue that you put in here and, you know, the lettering itself too is just so visual. I'm, I'm really impressed with it. It's a, it's a, and for those that are listening to that are listening and watching, check out robot sex as you know, as, as John, as John said, it's not graphic or any of that. It's a, it's almost a, if I had to call it, it's almost like, it feels like a post-apocalyptic fantasy in a way. Yeah. I think that's a good description of it. <laughs> yeah. Because there is a there is post apocalypse, but it's not the type that you think. Because there's so many bizarre characters, and there is a yeah. sense of fantasy that's involved in it as well. So. One of the ideas when I first sat down to start writing it, I thought about Saga. You know, Brian Vaughn mm. Saga. Yeah, this is going to be my saga, and it's nothing like Saga, and it's not coming anywhere near it. But you know, I kind of thought this is going to be my saga, where I'm going to start it and go be this big, you know long storyline and and it's not but it's just kind of it, but in saga there's a lot of times a lot of weird characters a lot of different things happening mm -hmm. um, and and so this this you know plus as you said that you know the getaway driver alma and then you have a girl and her dog you so all of these have the copyright stamp on it of 2021 did you write all of these just recently or these are just ones that you've just been able to just 
published as of recently. Uh, these are all st stories that I wrote in the last year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Getaway Driver was a night. That's actually uh, the same artist, Roman, uh, from uh, Robot Sex did The Getaway Driver. Okay. All right. And, uh, uh, a Girl and Her Dog is her nan who is doing the uh, art for Alma. Right. And uh, Girl and Her Dog was one of those. That was one of the fastest stories that I've ever, I've come up with the idea and wrote in just like four or five hours. It's wow. just, it's just, I, I kind of was playing around with the idea and I had the title, a girl and her dog, which, you know, I know is a, is a riff off of Harlan Ellison's uh, short story, a boy and his dog. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, the stories are nothing alike. And I had a friend that her dog had just recently uh, passed away. And then, right. you know, I was thinking, my last dog, it's been a couple years, but, you know, I've always had a dog all my life. And, you know, you always get to that point where, you know, you have to, you know, usually have to put them down because they're just so old and sick. And I just I mean, wanted a, a story that kind of talked about that, you know, relationship between a person and their dog. You wrote it in just one sitting, basically, yeah. as you said. Yeah, basically, I have a new... I bought like a little podium, like, you know, the people used us to uh, speak in front of, and I've been mm -hmm. writing on it. And I found my, I find standing up, I write so much better because really? I, page a lot. you know, I'll write a page and then I'll walk around. I'll go back and write a page or two and I'll walk around when I sit down. It's just, I don't have that freedom to move around as much. And I, I'm finding that I'm writing a lot better as I stand and than, than I did when I sat down. I actually sent a girl and her dog to uh, Tony Isabella, who was uh, who created the Black Lightning for DC Comics, mm. and did a lot of work for Marvel back in the seventies and eighties. And he, I couldn't have paid him to do a, a better review of it. He basically mm. called it one of the best comics of the year, and uh, he just he just raved about it, which I was was not expecting. So I was like thrilled that you know he liked the, the book as much as he did. Yeah. And so, you know, my question to you as well is, you know, we have some, you know, writers that might be listening to this and say, you know, John, where'd you find, I have a story to tell, but I ha I don't know where to get an artist. What would be your recommendation to them? I hate to say this, but Facebook. Oh, yeah? <laughs> all the artists I found recently have all been through Facebook. Back okay. in, the, in the 80s when I started, it was all, I don't know if you remember, there used to be a uh there was a newspaper called Comic Buyer's Guide. Yeah, that they ran a, a, a classified section in the back, and I used to keep a classified ad in there looking for artists almost every issue. And I found a lot of that's where I found all my artists at the time, you know, through through that. Now there is no you know really paper publications or anything. So and Facebook has like a group for everything. You know they've right. got you know, and they've got quite a few different groups of. Writers looking for artists, artists looking for writers, connecting creators. And I just go on a group and basically post, hey, I'm looking for somebody. And then, you know, you get about a billion responses and you just kind of, you know, work your way through them, you mm. know, and until I can find, you know, I find people that, you know, that fit my budget, that will fit their budget. Because, you know, some people want more than what I can afford to pay. And that's fine. You know, they're they're right. worth it. And I'm not going to ask them to take a, you know, to you know, uh, but there's usually somebody within that, you know, your range that you can find. And, you know, I've been right. lucky to find ones like Roman 
who was a great artist, you know, Hernan, who did a, a girl and her dog, uh, you know, uh, now the artist on two tons of fury is actually local and he's a friend of mine. So he was, the, and he's been like the driving force behind that comic because mm. he's a big Herbie fan. I mean, he's, you know, for, for Larry, I think comics ended like in 1970, you know, he right. likes all the old comics and, uh, he's been after me to do a Herbie story forever. And I could just not do a Herbie story. I just, every time I sat down to try to write Herbie, I just could not write him. <laughs> and Larry was doing like, they weren't like cover recreations, but he was like creating new covers for old books, like for like justice society and some of the older DC comics, he would create like a, different like a new cover for, for a story that really didn't exist and he was selling them on ebay and he actually created the cover that's the cover for two tons and sold it on ebay and when i seen that cover it just something clicked in my mind and, and i was like i know what story to write now you know <laughs> and, and i was a i was some reason i was a fan of fat man you know fat man mm. lasted three issues in the mid 60s it was published <laughs> by a company called lightning comics and they were three sixty four issues 364 page issues and I bought them when they came out. You know, I don't have them now, but uh, I I've always remembered that character because he was just so goofy, you know, <laughs> and just, you know, he was just, you know, he just, it sounds so ridiculous when you, when you talk about, you know, he turns into a flying saucer and he flies and things like this. But um, when I seen that cover, I just, it was another book that I just, I was able to write. I just, started writing and it all just flowed out without a problem. And, and as you say, he's there, there there's some uh, allusion to the Captain Marvel character as well, because of that. Well, people say Shazam these days, but he's all, he'll always be Captain Marvel to me. Actually, no, not that Captain Marvel. It's the Captain Marvel that yells split. He's an Android and his body comes apart. So okay. There was another Captain Marvel that nobody remembers. <laughs> Uh, he, was actually, he has the he has the the little, you know, fat man. He has the the little cape too. That reminds me of the golden oh, age Captain Marvel. Now, yeah, Captain or Fat Man was created by uh, Otto Binder and CC Beck, who were the actually creators of Captain Marvel, the original. Okay, Captain cool. Marvel. So their mm -hmm. co that costume, yes, I think if you colored it and put the lightning bolt on it, that's yeah. Captain Marvel's costume. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but we did the other Captain Marvel that was an android who actually that Captain Marvel was created by Carl Burgess, who created the original Human Torch for Marvel. Okay. And uh, yeah, he I don't know how many issues he lasted. He was he had his own comic uh, and I don't remember the publisher of it, but it didn't last too long. And uh, he was just another one of those weird characters that were coming out in the mid 60s, you know, that that were they were kind of like all these stories were trying to follow that campy marvel style that you know marvel was doing in the mid 60s and right not very many of them succeeded at it so you wrote so you wrote the script for two tons of fury correct yes sir okay all right um and how long did this one take you that one actually was another one that i think i did in one day wow i brought my my pod my little podium out on my porch and I stood out. I, I turned on my radio out there and listened to music and, and wrote, you know, and just and I, I didn't I was like, I'm not leaving until I finished this story, you know, because I was afraid right. if I stopped, I would just kind of not get back to it soon enough. And uh, 
I just, I turned it out in a day. And, you know, that makes it sound like, oh, I'm writing really quick. But then when you turn around, like the first issue of Ayla, I think it took me like six months to write. You know, that was one of the books I wrote a page. I'd send to Jave, he'd draw it, and I'd send him another page, you know, and then he'd get busy stuff, and I wouldn't send him anything. And it just took forever to do. Those four issues took us forever to get done. Wow. Yeah. And, but then you also recently, you did the Alma, which yeah. you have a really, you have a really cool log line for that one. Do you want to tell people yeah. what Alma's about? What if Buffy was a 72-year-old grandmother? <laughs> And that's that that is like when I'm at a convention and I'm doing a table and, you know, a lot of a lot of the younger people I've I've noticed haven't really watched Buffy. But Buffy's become so iconic that even when I say, hey, have you watched Buffy? And they're like, no. So, well, you know who Buffy is, right? And they're all. Yeah, of course, we know who Buffy is. And once I give that tagline, it's like more people. will. Oh, I got to buy that book. I got to see what that's about. (laughs) And though, and and so you're, as you say, you're looking at putting out, you're you're looking at putting out this as a, um, um, as a series as well, like a limited yes. series. Yeah, we're okay. gonna see how long it goes. We're gonna do a Kickstarter. That's what I'm gonna do a Kickstarter on because I figured that had such a great tagline. That would be my best opportunity to do it to do a successful Kickstarter, or at least to do my first one. And mm-hmm. uh, that's gonna probably be out towards the end of uh, sometime in September, maybe the end of August. Okay. Uh, on it. I actually, we're going to do some variant covers for it. And I've got oh, two cool. variant covers back already that are awesome looking. They just, they, the artists have did such a good job on them. And I've got two more that are in, in the works. Uh, uh, yeah. And that's why I was saying, you know, a lot of, I've gotten a lot of ideas from just listening to your podcast on some of the things <laughs> you know, as far as the mechanics of doing the, the uh, Kickstarter. So it's, it's, that's, that's helped a lot. <laughs> And so, so talk to us a little bit about what the the story of Alma is all about. Alma is kind of Alma is another an idea I got from a, and I don't remember what group it was in, but it was another group on Facebook, which probably means I spend too much time on Facebook. <laughs> but uh, somebody had made a comment about usually, you know, and, and it kind of even goes with to Buffy, but you know, like in fantasy stories. The person, the 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 hero, the person that always gets the power to to save the world, or to, you know, go save the you know the princess or whatever that needs saving, is always a young, viral, you know, usually man. But in Buffy's case, it was a you know girl, right? And which makes sense because you want somebody that's that has that power, to, you know. But somebody made a comment was, wouldn't it be funny if you know someone's grandmother got the power, right? And you know, and the thread was all about basically just riffing off of that and was joking about it. You know, nobody was really taking it serious, but you know, my wacky brain, I was, I read it and I started taking it serious. I was like, wow, what if something that really happened? You know, what if instead of, you know, they got the power and now they have to go and f- f- fight the, the bad guys and they're the, the hero. And uh, it just, that led to Alma, you know, it's just, and I, and I created the character off of just basically off of that riff and, you know, with a little Buffy thrown in, you know, and, and I, 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 I showcase that really in the first issue, I kind of pull, bring that out that, yeah, I know some of this is, you know, from Buffy, you know, so I don't want people thinking, oh, you know, he's ripping off Buffy and doesn't even realize it. Yeah. I know I'm ripping a little off. <laughs> so, so my next question for you, you know, with, uh, with, Isla and Alma and a girl and her dog, you seem to kind of gravitate towards uh, strong female leads. Is this, 
Uh, is this deliberate? I think, you know, uh, uh, when I sit down to write something, I, I, I kind of look at it, you know, does it have to be, you know, a, a straight white male? You know, right. I mean, so I figure, you know, I want to write a little diverse. I want to, you know, create some characters that, you know, aren't, you know, what we've seen a million, million of, you know, and mm. there's nothing wrong with that. I've, I'm writing another story right now that the main character is your typical white heterosexual male. Right. But you know, I, I kind of look at it, you know, like when I did Ayla, I was like, at first, you know, she was going to be a, a, a man. And then I started thinking, I was like, well, maybe I can, you know, why can't she be a, you know, why can't this character be a woman and, and still work? So right. you know, I just trying to, you know, be a little diverse in my, uh, in my writing. And it, and it makes it a little more interesting for me because, you know, it's a lot easier for me to write a, a you know, a white male character because I'm a white male, you know, and right. I have to think a little bit more when I'm writing a character that's, that doesn't quite fit those parameters. Yeah. And you have a garden gnome. And, yes. <laughs> and, and um, it was the I, I tried to think of the weirdest thing I could do for like her, you know, to be her her not her watcher, but you know, in the book it's her then her companion. Right. And I was like, I was trying to think of it. Originally, it was going to be the uh, the Randy, the uh, the cherub from the from the first couple pages. Right. He was gonna be her her, but then I was like, no, nah, I don't know if I want that. And then uh I've just recently I moved in the last two years to where I'm living now. And in the last two years I've been doing more yard work because I have a lot bigger yard. And whenever I go out to buy anything, I see all these garden gnomes. <laughs> I, I hate them. I just like I don't want one in my yard. But then when I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, that'd be kind of a weird idea. Let's put a garden gnome in as the character. Just really <laughs> strange. <laughs> So, so what's next for you, John? As you mentioned, you're doing a pot, you're doing a, a Kickstarter um, yeah. in September with Alma. I've got the Kickstarter coming up. I'm working okay. on issue two of Alma. I'm working on issue two of Robot Sex. Uh, okay. Both of those are written. The artists have the scripts for them. Also working on. We just I came up with another idea for a a story that uh, I've written like the first I think eight pages of it. And we're going to see where it goes with that. Uh, but it's still kind of in the in the beginning stages. Right. Uh, and then Larry and I are trying to decide what the next, the sequel to Two Tons is going to be. You know, it's not going to be a direct sequel, and it may not even have all those same characters. But there's a lot of public domain characters out there that we can take. And, you know, we're just, we're looking at the goofiest characters. You know, we're looking at the ones that, you know, make you laugh and it kind of silly at the same time. So right. Uh, we're going to end up doing something with the, with something. I just, we haven't figured out exactly what characters we're going to use. Cause I don't think we want to use Herbie and uh fat man again. We may end up using fat man still, uh, but uh, we may give Herbie a rest in this one. Right. No, that's such a fun, like, yeah. So this is coming out. This is not available yet though. Correct. No, that's coming out in December and that's actually coming out through Antarctica press. Cool. Uh, and our actually to a uh, girl and her dog is supposed to be coming out this month, hopefully by the end of July. And it's coming out through uh, a company called it's alive comics. Okay. And both of those comics actually got picked up because we were posted on Facebook about it. We were posting oh, nice. like uh, samples and stuff. And like the uh, editor of it's alive 
texted me one night and said, hey, you know, asked about It's Alive. And he said, can I see a copy of it? I said, sure. So I sent it to him. And about 30 minutes later, he texted me back and said, hey, I'd like to publish this if you don't mind. That's cool. Like, well, let me see, you know, let's, you know, what's the, the contract and everything. And within that night we had worked it out and, you know, I signed the contracts and, you know, that was, uh, and then kind of the same thing with Antarctica press. He, uh, Ben Dunn, who is the publisher of Antarctica actually texted Larry and said, Hey, I liked, uh, what I've seen of, uh, two tons of fury. He says, do y'all have a publisher for it? And I, we're like, no, we're going to just, you know, I was going to self publish it, but right. you know, both of those companies, It's Alive and Antarctica, are you know distributed through Diamond. So I figured that's going to get a lot more eyes on the comics than what you know. You know, Diebold does not go through Diamond. Basically, right. I sell my comics through Diebold through if you come across it online, you know, find my website or mainly through conventions. Hmm. So I figured this gets that spread out even you know a little bit more. And every one that I sell through that is going to probably be somebody I wouldn't have sold to anyway. Right. Uh, you know, I figured right. you know, it can't. And the deals were pretty good. You know, basically I own, you know, I own the, the both comics completely still. So I was like, you know, it's the deal was good enough to, you know, I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll publish. You know, I have no problems with, you know, you know, publishing, going through a publisher. <laughs> right. That's cool. Cool. Well, that's great. So listen, John, you're going to have to come back on when you, uh, uh, get your Kickstarter up and rolling and stuff. Yeah. I enjoyed this. Yeah. <laughs> You're only about my third podcast I think I've done so far. So Okay. All yeah. right. It's been a while. It was took me a little while to get into podcasting and stuff. So, you know, I was like, yeah. I figured well, I need to start getting, you know, getting out there, especially if I want people, you know, to direct them to the website and things like that. So, uh, so. And that's right. And so people can go to dieboldcomics.com. That's yeah. where they have your whole, all of your things, um, your your entire series of books that yeah, you've been working on is on there. Everything I've got uh, is up there right now, I think. Uh, the only ones I probably don't have up there now is we've republished, we've taken some of the uh, uh, Fat Man and Herbie and some of these old characters and I've taken, mm. you know, that are in public domain and I've actually republished some of their old comics. So, okay. uh, you know, I don't have that up there yet, but pretty much everything else is up there. So all the comics are up there. I've got T-shirts and and all sorts of other goodies on there, too, that, you know, if somebody wants to buy something. So, Right. Yeah, you do have a store on there and, yeah, in the contact. And so, you're as you said, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, John, for coming on. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> All right, you're welcome. Nice bookshelves too. Is are there are those are those mostly comics or what do you have mostly uh, behind you? The one behind me is a lot of like just books about writing and and uh, nonfiction like on voodoo and magic and different things like that. And the ones on comics you can't see; they're like on the other side. But it's like okay, three times as much as that. <laughs> 
So is that it's so is that standard issue? If anybody moves into Louisiana, they have to have a few books on voodoo. Is that like they give that to you when you go to DMV? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, 